Welcome to today's conversation in our Collaborative Transformation podcast series, Collaboration Through Innovation Centers. We're excited to bring you perspectives from McDermott's partners on some of the key regulatory, investment, and strategic considerations for healthcare innovation centers today, including best practices and opportunities for innovation centers to drive collaboration and industry improvement. Joining us today are partners Karen Slattery and Chris Twirling. They're also co-chairs of our upcoming Hospital and Health System Innovation Summit on October 24th in New York. Karen and Chris, thanks for joining. Hospital and health system innovation centers are increasingly acting as the catalyst to fuel growth and expansion through technology and data. Karen, tell us a little bit about some of the biggest opportunities for innovation centers in healthcare today. Sure. As everybody knows, hospitals and health systems have always done significant innovation work, but that has often been siloed or more from a bottom-up approach and very decentralized, whereas now they are looking at it more from a strategic perspective. They are centralizing those efforts and really finding ways to capitalize on opportunities through the so-called innovation center. So while that can be a separate entity, it can be a centralized division, it's now being charged with centralizing those innovation efforts across a system, which, as you can imagine, is not an easy thing. So these innovation centers are certainly driving innovation through internally sourced projects, but also investments in third parties. And exploring opportunities on both of these fronts is becoming more of a strategic imperative as health systems move beyond bricks and mortar and try to improve healthcare and meet the lofty goals of population health. So I think that's just in terms of what we see as the formalization and discipline being given in health systems to innovation. In terms of opportunities, I think health systems are uniquely situated and have access to many of the components that we think would be critical to health innovation. So whether that's the physician workforce, the research infrastructure, obviously they have patient access. They are repositories for endless amounts of data. So other companies outside of health, whether they're technology or developing data solutions, they're certainly interested in combining with hospitals and health systems. So they use their resources to develop services and products and to better connect with the customer. That's the evolution we're seeing in terms of using these collaborative arrangements to invest in third parties. Chris, are you seeing similar things in the market or other opportunities that you might want to touch on? Yes, I'm seeing similar things. And what we're seeing is hospitals starting to do innovation differently. And historically, innovation has been the concept that a new invention is invented by one of the physicians or researchers at the hospital. And then the hospital and that inventor will license out that innovation to a large biotech company that will try to pursue its development. And the hospital really doesn't stay involved in any way in the development of that innovation. It may get a license fee back if there's success, but that's about the extent of it. In this new world of innovation, hospitals are looking to be integrally involved with the progressing of that innovation to commercialization every step of the way. And so that's taking shape in a number of different forms. One of the key things we're seeing is hospitals actually making investments in the companies that are pursuing commercialization of innovations. So there still may be a license of the technology to the company, but alongside that license, there's an investment 
in the company and a hospital taking an equity position in the company that will keep it involved. The hospital may contribute board members to the company who will help determine the direction of the research and the development. And the hospital may contribute significant parts of the cash that's needed to develop an innovation. The other component that comes alongside that in the context of staying involved is there's frequently research agreements that ensure that the development of the innovation takes place at the hospital and health systems facilities, giving the physicians the access to that development first, and most importantly, getting the patients of that hospital health system access to that technology to treat whatever ailment they may have. So this is really a new world of innovation from that older world of license out and pray that something good happens. Now it's staying involved, getting that innovation first to the patients of the hospital and health system. So when I hear you talk about new or different, right, that also, I think, inevitably leads to new or different risks. How are folks tackling the new regulatory and compliance challenges they're facing around here? What kind of questions are you most getting from clients or hearing in the market around that front? There are certainly a number of regulatory and compliance challenges when there's anything new and innovative, but there are a couple I'll highlight that we hear consistently about in each of these opportunities and collaborations. One is obviously data, who owns it, how it can be used in furtherance of the venture, what further consents are needed. Oftentimes a hospital or a health system will have secured consents from its patients for one use, but now the venture and the parties want to consider another use. These are all challenges as the parties move along in the effort. But needless to say, I think because data is present in most health collaborations, both traditional, the providers, as well as the non-traditional players, whether it's the tech companies or startups, they need to understand the healthcare data landscape. It's really critical and it is complex and evolving. So that's just one piece everybody needs to get up to speed on. I think a second and related challenge is the fact that innovation can be ahead of the law and regulations. And so as parties are pursuing their initiatives. They need to think about managing risk in those areas, both at the outset of the collaboration, but as the product or service evolves over time. And that's tricky to do at the outset of a transaction, building in that flexibility down the road. A key area there we're seeing innovation getting ahead of the law is in wearables, for example. We see a lot of clinicians that are around hospitals and health systems with fantastic innovative ideas about how wearables can be used, whether that be a watch or some other patient monitor or a use for a smartphone. And they come up with an idea, maybe even develop an app, and they come to the hospital for support for some research or an investment. And they frequently will take the position and say, no, this is not FDA regulated. It's just a smartwatch and it's just doing these things. But the FDA is in the middle of coming up with new rules and regulations around wearables, and it very well may be regulated. So it's an area where the law is not quite caught up yet. It's catching up quickly, but hospitals and health systems that are pursuing and getting involved in that type of innovation need to be on top of that challenge is the fact that there may not be a law yet for it, but it, it could be certainly coming down the pipe. So you've said, Chris, that this is sort of a new world of innovation within hospitals and health systems, and wearables is one way these new kind of ventures are shaking up the market. What other ways are partnerships or innovation centers doing to shake up the market and sort of displace the paradigm, and what results are we seeing? As Karen mentioned earlier, health systems 
have always been that hub. It's not necessarily a brand new thing, but making it a strategic priority and setting up the structures that are necessary to support innovation in these new manners is what we see health systems doing. And so taking a step back first, the health systems are thinking about how do I organize internally to make an innovation investment? And does that mean that I'm going to actually form a subsidiary company that's going to make the investment? Am I going to use just health system dollars off the balance sheet? Or am I going to raise money from donors for this effort? Or am I actually going to take in some third-party funds? Are we going to raise money like a traditional venture capital private equity fund would and put that money alongside the hospital and health systems dollars to make these innovation investments? We see all manner of that out there in the marketplace, each of those three types of structures. We also very commonly just see no real strong structure developed around it. It's simply kind of an investment off the balance sheet, i.e. there's available cash at the health system, and they'll make that investment in an innovative enterprise. So that's how systems are organizing to invest. Then how they're making the investment is the second type. What are health systems doing beyond just kind of that historical out license of the technology? Now we see health systems taking all different types of structures of investment, just like a traditional seed stage or venture capital investor would be. What kinds of partnerships are they using that money to enter, though? And what kind of results do we expect to see from that? Well, the base structure that we see is a company just participating in a Series A round of funding. So a new innovative company has been developed. Sometimes it was formed by the hospital. Sometimes it was formed by a related clinician who made the innovation. And the hospital participates in the Series A investment just like any other investor. They're taking equity in the company. There'll be an equity holder going forward. Now, depending on the size of their investment, that may come along with certain rights and responsibilities, maybe come along with a board right, may come along with rights to invest in future rounds and things like that. That's kind of the basic form that we're seeing. But from there, there's a variety of other structures that hospitals use outside of this basic stock investment. One type of investment is a convertible note. Convertible notes are used for very early stage companies when you don't really have a valuation set yet. You don't really know what the company is going to be worth. So it's very hard to invest in equity of a company when you don't know if it's going to be worth $1 million or $400 million. So the use of a convertible note allows the parties to defer that valuation conversation, but at the same time allows the innovative company to get an investment of a few hundred thousand up to a million or so dollars to use to immediately start developing that innovation. So Series A and early stage companies, right, that always brings us back to the conversation we always have around risk because we don't know how those play out oftentimes. But that's unusual, right, because historically hospitals and health systems have really prioritized minimizing risk as part of their business strategy. So that is also a change that we're seeing. We know that low risk tolerance can sometimes stifle innovation. So, Karen, how are we seeing these innovation centers balance that risk avoidance that they've been known for without sacrificing the strategies to drive these innovation center improvements? I think we see it being done in a couple of different ways. Certainly for some organizations, their investment in innovation is relatively small dollar-wise, and frankly, they consider it play money. Again, kind of back to what Chris was saying, hoping something may happen, but not 
overly caring about the future and direction of the company. But for others, they are making these initiatives as part of their strategy to diversify away from hospitals and bricks and mortar, as we mentioned earlier. So I think from our perspective, we believe they need to tackle this like any other strategic arm of the system. So you have to develop a corporate and management structure. And in this case, Oftentimes, they're developing it with people who have come from outside of traditional healthcare, And I think that that's something that is allowing them to vet and look at these investments and opportunities through a new lens. Certainly, we feel, obviously, they need to provide legal and compliance support and infrastructure to these arms and develop, again, a tried-and-true process to vet opportunities that are coming their way, that are aligned with the system purposes. And certainly, another piece is educating your board and leadership on how to evaluate these opportunities. Each one is unique. And so having the structure and the checklist on how to move forward with opportunities puts the organization in the best position to evaluate risk. I think another thing we think is really critical is due diligence. And Chris, maybe you can talk about what we've talked about in terms of how we tackle due diligence differently in the context of these startup companies. Yeah, absolutely. Diligence with established companies in the same line of business is pretty different from diligence of a startup company or a company that's going to be the manufacturer of a medical device that's FDA regulated, for example. So your due diligence here needs to be tailored very differently from diligence of, say, the acquisition of a physician group or the affiliation with another independent hospital. In those contexts, you're probably looking at Stark Law compliance, state not-for-profit law compliance, physician referral and kickback issues. And while some of those may from time to time come into play, diligence with a startup investment has a fairly significantly different focus. I'll touch on a couple of the key diligence areas. First is diligencing who are the other investors and understanding who you're going to be an owner of this innovative company with. Reputation is paramount for hospitals and health systems and academic medical centers. And once you're invested in a startup company, frequently you're going to be an investor alongside other people on the cap table. And ensuring that you know who those individuals are, may have run even some background checks on those individuals, is something that we recommend as a key diligence point so that you don't later have a headline issue. A second area of diligence, like I mentioned before, is understanding the FDA pathway for this innovative product. It may be a digital health product, it may be a medical device, it may be a pharmaceutical or biotech product, but before you make an investment, there should be at least a base understanding of what that FDA approval pathway looks like, and maybe even an understanding of what a global approval pathway looks like. In the drug market, for example, many drugs are launched in Europe before the U.S. And so understanding that pathway helps you understand what future funding needs may look like, what the research needs may look like, and a whole variety of things you should know before you make an investment. The third critical due diligence issue is intellectual property. And understanding, does this company really have an intellectual property position that is defensible and is going to, in the future, create value for the investment. And it's not just really creating value. It's also making sure that the dollars are being put to use in something that's going to deliver that clinical benefit you think it will. Because if competitors come onto the market and are able to keep this innovative company out of the market because they have better IP, then you're not going to get your innovation to the patients. 
and it's not going to do the good that you think it is. And the dollars would be better invested elsewhere. So understanding that IP position is another critical due diligence area. And those few areas are things that many hospitals and health systems, medical centers have not historically looked at when they're making investments, when you're doing acquisitions even. So it's a different style and skill set of due diligence that needs to be implemented in a innovation investment. Yeah, and I think I would add to Chris's comments around due diligence is it isn't looking at paper like you would in a well-established business or a traditional acquisition. It's a lot of interviews with the principals, as Chris said, other investors about the vision, the product, and where it's going, their compliance bent. They tend to not have robust compliance departments or legal departments. And so you have to think alongside them where the product and innovation is going. And so it's an atypical diligence project, as Chris said, unlike what most health systems are used to when they're investing in uh, provider side business, for example. And Chris, does that hold true globally as well? I know you've seen a lot more global partnerships of this nature lately. So I'm curious, is there anything different that you would tell people in terms of thinking about a global transaction or a cross-border transaction? Many of the same diligence issues hold true for global investments, and we're seeing a fair amount of that. So unlike the provision of healthcare services, medtech, digital health, and pharma is a very globalized industry already. So we see, for example, a German digital health startup coming to an American health system and saying, hey, we want to do research at your organization, and would you help fund that by making an equity investment in our company? We see that type of scenario happening every day now. And what I'd say is that I would enhance some diligence components, possibly consider hiring local counsel or working with a law firm that has a local office so you understand the different types of corporate rights and obligations that apply. If you're investing in, for example, an Israeli medical device company, you want to know some of the differences between Israeli corporate law and U.S. corporate law and how that may affect your rights and responsibilities and obligations. I think another issue that we see when our stateside health system clients embark on international collaborations and ventures is that they have to consider the tax implications of embarking in a venture with an international company because there are potential tax implications of those ventures as well that we've seen depending on the country of origin. So that's just another piece that we look out for with our hospital health system clients that are tax-exempt entities. Thanks for listening to our episode. We encourage you to learn more about today's topic by joining us at the upcoming Hospital and Health System Innovation Summit in New York on October 24th. To register, visit mwe.com backslash hhsinnovation19. Now back to our episode. You've both mentioned in the last few minutes who you align with as an innovation center, as an important issue. We've touched on it in the context of diligence. We touched on it earlier, Chris, in the context of funding structures, right, and what the opportunity is there, and reputation being paramount. But let's talk about co-investment arrangements as a governance planning issue for innovation centers in today's market. How can a health system's co-investment in strategic ventures help it achieve its venture-specific goals and objectives? 
first, I mean, we do see a desire for organizations to co-invest. And what we mean by that is where officers and directors of the health system are investing alongside the health system, as well as the inventors and others. And as you can imagine, there are a myriad of legal issues associated with co-investment opportunities. And as Chris mentioned earlier, public relations issues, even if you get it right legally. So a few things to look out for are obviously conflicts of interest. There are state nonprofit and corporate law considerations, as well, again, as tax exemption consideration for those hospitals and health systems who are tax exempt. And I think, again, from a risk mitigation perspective, the process an organization develops to vet these opportunities should include this on its checklist, meaning our officers or directors co-investing in this particular investment. And then when they evaluate the facts and circumstances of that particular investment, they can determine whether it's appropriate. And sometimes, again, you can get it right legally. There is no best practices in this area yet, but the public relations issues can be critical. So you have to evaluate it from a legal and public relations perspective as well. And then, Chris, do you see co-investment as an option that innovation centers are going to continue to use to fuel growth and innovation, to get further, faster, as it were? Yes, absolutely. When you cut right through it, Hospitals and health systems and academic medical centers have very experienced and many times very wealthy individuals that are on their boards. And many times those individuals are venture investors themselves or private equity investors or hedge fund investors. And so they are experienced investors and they are a good source of funding for innovation. So I do think that the sheer need for cash and need for investment expertise is going to continue to drive co-investment happening. But I think our key takeaway is that please do it carefully. (laughs) Be aware of the conflicts issues it raises. So that transitions nicely into what is the one key takeaway, right? So I like to close all of these by asking you just to think about if we had to try to sum it up for people listening, what are the one or two things you'd say on this topic don't forget to? I think the one key takeaway for me is get your organization ready for a different type of diligence activity. Have an internal checklist developed That diligence is some of the areas we discussed earlier and be prepared to do a little bit of customization from opportunity to opportunity. But be aware that it's different and you'll be doing your organization a great service by adapting to a different type of diligence and surfacing these issues that you don't want to run into down the road and not have spotted or at least thought about up front before an innovation investment is made. I wholeheartedly agree with that, and I guess I would add just one other takeaway, which is from where this is at, which I think we would view in its infancy, it really has changed from the more traditional hands-off approach that Chris mentioned early on to a very active, robust strategy to invest alongside these innovations to get them to market and patients. And so I think that we're observing there's no one way to do this, and I think Each organization needs to look at this in a way that aligns with its purposes, its mission, and its desire to invest time and energy in this. Because as I think what we've discussed over the last few minutes is it is complicated, but it's also really exciting. And it's bringing things to market quicker to patients, which I think all of our hospital and health systems like to be able to participate in and accomplish. So be prepared to customize your diligence and make sure that you're staying true to your values and your mission as you're navigating the new market space that's evolving. 
Thanks again, Karen and Chris, for joining us and for sharing your insights. And thanks to all of you for joining us today. For more insights and analysis, you can check out McDermott's Collaborative Transformation Series at mwe.com backslash transform healthcare or McDermott's Health and Life Sciences News blog at healthlifesciencesnews.com. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be considered as legal advice or any other advice on any specific fact or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott will never makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liabilities any person in respect of the consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2019, McDermott will never all rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered as attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.